Welcome to the Kavod Family Podcast. Kavod Family exists for the restoration of families and the transformation of communities. There once was a town high in the mountains that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed by springs that were old as the earth and deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it. Swans and ducks swam on it. You could see the rocks and the sand because the water was so fresh. High in the hills, far beyond anyone's sight, lived a man who served as the keeper of the springs. He had been hired a long time ago, and no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches or fallen leaves or debris that might pollute the water. But his work was unseen. One year, the town council decided they had better things to do with their money. No one supervised the man anyway. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect and services to offer, and giving money to an unseen stream cleaner had become a luxury they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs went untended. Twigs and branches and worse muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. Farm wastes turned parts of the stream into stagnant bogs. For a time, no one in the village noticed. But after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live elsewhere. The water no longer had a crisp scent that drew children to play by it. Some people in the town began to grow ill. All noticed the loss of sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the streams that fed the town. The life of the village depended on the stream, and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. The city council reconvened, the money was found, the man was rehired. After yet another time, the springs were cleaned, the stream was pure, children played again on its banks, illness was replaced by health, the swans came home, and the village came back to life. The life of a village depended on the health of the stream. The stream is the soul, and you are the keeper. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Kavod Family Podcast. This is your host, Travis Shook, and we've got all kinds of people on today. We've got Casey with us. Morning, Casey, or afternoon, right? Yes. Good day, sir. We've got my wife, Lydia. Hello. How are you? I'm great. Wonderful. And then we've got Tom, and then we've got his better half, Olga. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. That clip, you were telling me about it before. It is incredible. It is absolutely incredible. There's so many things that you could you could reference that to. And it is it is beautiful. It's so simple though, but so profound. The act of one person keeping something and keeping your soul and how that relates to us. And I'm wh- where did you get that from? Where did it come from? It comes from a book by John Ortberg called Soul Keeping. And the entire book is about the, the only thing that we have that we take with us to eternity is our soul. And yet in this world, we take care of everything except our soul. And so it's just a full encouragement on how to get back on track taking care of your soul. And when we were talking about doing this podcast, 
I was thinking about that. I played it this morning, and I thought, my goodness, you know, the village is our family. The keeper is the parents. All of the swans, et cetera, are the good things that come into our families and then how we can get sticks and junk into our family and forget. You know, we forget to remember how much God is always doing and we get caught up in the mess. And then the beautiful part is that the village got back together, decided to open up their budget and redeemed it all. Man. There's a – if you haven't seen it, there's a documentary that they created about wolves in Yellowstone. Have you guys seen that? It's so for the longest time they didn't have any wolves in Yellowstone, and the banks had become eroded, the deer were overpopulated, all these effects, and then they decided to reintroduce the wolves into Yellowstone, and that one thing brought uh, life to life. the whole thing. Yeah, it restored life, mm. and so that that the video that you just played, the audio there, it's a similar thing, right? When you have when you keep your f- focus on the soul, and when we mean soul, we're talking about your true identity because. Um, your true identity is before I'm a Wilson. That's who you are in this world. That's your family. That's your family tree. It's more than just I'm brown-haired, hazel-eyed, I'm a male. Your true identity is where your soul is. It's who you are. It's your belonging to God. It's him as your maker. It's you. That's that's what we – I mean if you guys want to expound on that, but that's what you're you're meaning by soul and taking care of that true identity first before you take care of anything else. It says in it says in the Old Testament that um, that life and soul is actually the same word. It's the word nefesh in wow. the Hebrew, and so when you think of the soul, you have to think of your life. Or if you think of your life, you have to think of your soul. And and where is that located? It's in the blood. That's why his blood was able to cry to God from the ground. Why? Because God heard. It was Abel's soul that God yeah. heard. Yeah. That's so profound. I've never heard it like that. Oh my gosh. Wow. I'm impressed. That, that's another podcast. He does a great study on the blood for real. Wow. All right, guys. So the, the topic of this, and it's the, the next series, the next piece in the sex talk, the marriage talk, and we want to we kind of start to wrap this up and put a bow on this. And I think that video, that, that, that narrator, was such a beautiful way to intro this because – We've hit on the last few episodes, there's there's God's model for marriage and for sex, and he created it, and it was a gift, and he blessed it, and we've kind of exposed some of the lies and the counterfeits that Satan has done. But we want to get in today of how to preserve your soul, how to preserve your marriage and, and the marriage bed and all of those things and how that just – like how you said the town and the and the swans would leave and that filters down to your children like your children get to watch you as a married couple day in day out show and express love or lack of love and they're going to get a model for how they're going to do it whenever they grow up so the ability to like be intentional and to understand the value of keeping it clean and how to keep it clean and knowing that hard times are going to come and we would love to encourage both sides, men and women, on when hard times come, what to do and all that. But just a brief recap, um, the purpose of marriage and the, the purpose of sex, we, we've briefly dabbled into that, but I, I want to knock the rest off that and kind of refresh in that topic as we move throughout this. Marriage is a picture of our relationship, our covenant with God. 
And so that is the closest thing that we can in becoming one and loving our wives like Christ loved the church and our wives honoring us and not leaving and departing when it gets hard. It is a mirrored image of God the Father and our relationship with us and how he loves us and adores us and will always be there and will always pursue us despite good times and hard times. He's always faithful. Yeah, what you're talking about there, you know, in covenant, that word covenant, it's different than the word contract. We write up contracts all day day long. When you take a job, you write it, you sign a contract. Even when you get married, you sign this legal contract. But with contracts, there's this ability to be able to end them. You can close them, right? You can rip them up, shred them, you can get rid of them. But covenant is that uh, everlasting, ongoing, original design and purpose. It's what was always intended from the very beginning that marriage would be from its beginning and lived out through your life. That, that's what God wanted because it would, in that, it would show God's, un, his, his faithfulness to his people, that it will not come to an end. And a lot of people view marriage as a, as a business transaction, like a contract. Because think about it, when you're in a business and you have a contract, if the contract is benefiting you, you could care less if it benefits the person who's providing the thing. If it's benefiting you and you're bringing in money or whatever it is, you're going to renew that contract. But if it's hard and if it's annoying and it's a pain, ah, let's get rid of it. And that's exactly how most of the world views marriage. When it's challenging, when it's difficult, when she's not giving me what I want or he's not doing what he's supposed to, we're out. But that is the complete counterfeit and opposite of how God views our relationship with him and then how he designed marriage to be. And we've hidden the last few episodes too of how like sex is a, a fruit of a good marriage and it is a, an expression of your love and your and a, and that's how they used to seal that covenant. And, and the act of becoming one was the purpose and the meaning behind marriage and sex. And it is such a lost principle now. I had no clue of this whenever I was getting married. Like, we were being taught that when we had premarital counseling. But, like, as a teenager, as a young boy, man, I didn't know any of this. No, yeah. The only thing you know about sex when you're younger is the self-serving side of it. You know, like you wanting it or what you want it to look like or what you think it should look like or whatever, not like the actual practical, especially like when you're getting married, like what that does for your marriage, you literally go into it just thinking like, it's just what I do when I, <laughs> I do it when I want to. It's what and you do. Yeah. It's just like what you do. It happens. And then there's the reality that your body has these new hormones and passions raging through it. And that's what you actually, that's your first experience with sex, right? It's like, I have this desire and I have no rules. It's just fire that's but lit. But it's not no like boundaries. that forever. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it left unbridled, it will destroy, mm-hmm. right? Without boundaries, without understanding, without knowledge and wisdom, what God brings to marriage and sex, it is a destructive force. And that's, that's what we mean by today. I mean, this topic of let's keep sex fun. That's what we're here to, to, to talk about, right? Because we believe that sex can be fun. It can be joyful. It can be life-giving in marriage. It's this incredible thing. That's why we have our two resident experts on sex in the room with us, Tom <laughs> and Olga Miller. <laughs> she is swinging her arms. <laughs> but, but that's what we're here to, to, to kind of fan is like how do you – Keep those boundaries and fan the right things so that way that wildfire is is purposeful. And it's directed. always cultivated. Well, I think it's a little um, it's a little unfair and yet it is fair for us to share it, but unfair for our listeners to think that this is the way it is for everyone. But Tom and I have the advantage, which is not a wonderful experience, but it is the advantage of life prior to Christ 
and then our lives after accepting him as our savior. So prior to Christ for me, sex was just sex and it wasn't like today and probably it was like today but people didn't talk about it. You know, it was it was kept very secret. You didn't tell people if you were promiscuous. Um, and so it really was never sacred. You know, once you take what should be between a man and a woman in marriage and you start early in your life destroying it, it no longer becomes a gift. It no longer becomes intimacy. The language that young people, did you have sex? Are you having sex with him? Where married people don't talk like that, you know. <laughs> Very um, true. Right. You, I mean, you assume it, but, you know, so you start uh, training. You start training at a very young age when you're hearing uh, or doing um, or having sex prior to marriage, you start demeaning it. And it's no longer something that's special between a man and a woman. It's just, you know, what do you want? Do you want to go horseback riding or you want to have sex? <laughs> because it's no longer anything I mean, special. Yeah, literally. And so, you know, my past is, is not a good past. But when I found Jesus, everything changed. And more so when I found his word. I knew I wanted to go to heaven. I knew I wanted to receive him as my savior. I didn't know how I was going to get past all that trash. But the just the way that his word is alive and it spoke to me, I knew that I was on the road to recovery. But the word sex, I believe, is what's ruined it because we've just given everyone the license to have sex. Now, with me, with me, it was just uh, follow me was the two words that radicalized my life. And when I realized that if I follow him, that means that I trust him and that I could put my life in his hands and that whatever it is that he deems for me, whatever it is that I receive from him will be a gift from him and it will benefit me. But I must follow him. And so the the core of good sex or in marriage, obviously, is that you have to acknowledge who he is. You have to acknowledge God in your in your marriage, and and he becomes the cornerstone, just like Jesus is a cornerstone of your faith. He must become the, the cornerstone, the foundation of, of everything that the two of you are, because you're both actually one. And this whole thing is based on an example that God wanted to give a bride to his to his son, a, a bride to the to the second person of the Trinity, and of course that's the church. And the only way to supply that bride is to have people who acknowledge God and trust him and believe in him above all other things. In other words, he's most satisfying. He's most desirable. He's most pleasurable to be with. And when that becomes a solid thing in your life, then all of these other things like marriage and, and of course, sex and children and all those things, they have meaning and they, and they mean something far more important than what the average person would would think. And I love in that video or that little audio piece that we listened to at the beginning that daily that man went out and cleaned the stream. Daily. And and the byproduct of all of that that went into the town because he was intentional daily. Um I feel like there's a huge gap, for lack of a better word, in understanding intimacy in our marriage versus just I'm going to have sex. Like how you mentioned, Olga, like horseback riding or sex. Like there is a huge difference. And in that audio piece, that man was intentional to pick out the tree branches and all those different things because he knew what was going to flow down. And for us to be able to to teach and to illustrate, there is a intentionality in being intimate and how to preserve your marriage bed so that 
sex is a is a fruit of healthy, strong love. Like, I mean, we've kind of stumbled our way through that lid at the beginning. We didn't really know what we were doing. But to understand that my goal is to grow in love with you daily while we both pursue the Father. And from that, that is... That's the recipe for success, you know? Like, I think the world displays that being, um, like, educated in terms of, like, having more sex with more people, more experience, makes for a better sex life. But that's so not true. Like, it... That is a lie, for sure. That's a lie. Like, it's not a learned, like, act. It's the intimacy and the gift that comes from the act. And so... um, it you don't need experience you don't learn how to have good sex necessarily i guess in a way you do you learn each other you learn one you learn one person like your intimacy you know? grows for one another yeah well you don't you don't learn about good marriages by living with people all these different people you, you know that's not how you learn you're you're married and that's how you learn mm-hmm. and yet the world has you thinking the more people you live with the more experience you'll have and then you'll make a better decision when right. you decide to get married but really that just not that God can't redeem it, but really that just creates more like you start off with problems and then you come together with problems and you're not looking for redemption necessarily. And then you just build on those problems. Right. And the analogy of the keeper of the stream, that person is not making sure that he's clean. And so he's polluting himself with all these different relationships. And then he's going to bring this into a marriage one day. And he's thoroughly polluted because he he never kept his soul the way that it should have been kept. And God is warning us in the Bible that if we keep our souls the way that he would have us keep it, then we can look forward to the purity that we would receive. And this is the gift that he has for you uh, at the proper time. But, you know, those gifts have to wait. It requires patience, and you have to wait until it's the right time, the proper time. And it should be with just one person. Unfortunately, uh, many of us here at the table, we have not experienced that, and so we don't know how that is. But I'm glad that you spoke about redemption because that's everything for us. And I would love to get into some practical ways of, like, what does that look like for the the men and then also the woman side to be intentional to clean your stream daily, to be disciplined in pursuing intimacy daily, to to keep that marriage bed holy and to pursue one another. Like what are ways that pursuing intimacy, the marriage bed, being disciplined is fun? Like like how we said at the opening of this, God gave us this gift of sex and he made it and it is a blessing and it is fun and it is supposed to be good. What are things daily men and women can do to make it fun, to prioritize it? Or play. <laughs> now, we didn't say we were going to say that word, but we have to say that word because it, it really is about planning and caring for one another in a way that's just beyond yourself. You know, I look forward every day to being with Olga in that way, and I had to work. I had to do whatever it is I had to do. And so we weren't together all the time, and so I yearned for her all day, and I wanted her to know that I yearned for her all day to be with her. And so I would intentionally call her. I would intentionally say things to her. I would intentionally look forward to coming home and being with her. And, you know, it's, I hate to say this word, but it was priming the pump. I mean, that's, (laughs) 
That's that's what you do. Your your wife called you the king of foreplay when she walked in here. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but you know what was cute when she described that? Uh, my my worldly mind went straight to the bedroom. What she described was you waking up and getting her coffee and loving her from the beginning of the day and talking to her and listening to her. And and she painted this picture about you being intentional and caring to her. And I was like, okay, that's true floor play. Right. And so then all day, all day, all day, I'm receiving, receiving, and I can't wait. I can't wait to show him how much I appreciate that. And so we get to the marriage bed. And that's a place where we don't have to worry about everything going on in the stream. We just get this wonderful time together. And, you know, it's it's not that he did it for sex because I don't want it to sound like that either. But it's just that he showed me how much he loved me the whole day. And so my response to loving him in return was when we became one. And a lot of times, I know when we were early in our marriage, and I, we, I mean, we still mess it up daily. That was one of the reasons that we got in an argument yesterday is – Finding time throughout the day, even if you are busy, even if you have meetings, to send a text, to make a phone call, or display some way that you're thinking about them, you're longing to spend time with them, to, you're looking forward to cooking dinner with them, like whatever it is, expressing that I'm away from you, but I desire to be with you. So yesterday, I was doing a whole bunch of stuff around the gym. We we're getting new equipment in and moving it around, and I left my phone in my truck. And so Lynn, normally, normally I'll stop meetings and I'll text her and I'll give her a phone call in between and say, hey, don't longer the day, love you, da, da, da. Yesterday I left my phone in the truck for probably about three hours. So when I came home, I was like, hey, I'm home. I'm super excited to see her. <laughs> I ate dinner alone. Exactly. She, I got a text in the truck and she was like, hey, I'm not rushing you. I'm just trying to plan when dinner should be finished so that way it's not cold, it's not da, da, da. And I, as soon as I saw it, I called her, but it was like 40 minutes later. So I came in and I was like, hey, you know, and she was a little annoyed, rightfully so, right? And then she was being kind of cold in our communication. I'm like, what the heck? Like, I've, I've worked I was on... not being mean. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Cold. Cold. <laughs> yeah. Just slightly not as energetic or as open as you as you normally are. And then I got a little annoyed, but I'm like, dang, I just got here. I'm helping with kids. I'm, I'm doing da-da-da, so contract. I'm doing this, this, and this. Like, what's going on? And she was, and, and I'm assuming, so correct me if I'm wrong, you're kind of like, well, how do you not know what's going on? You didn't talk to me for the last four hours, and I've been trying to get a hold of you. So we had that, that not a riff, but that, that frustration piece there. And we took the time to communicate it, to clean out our stream, to hash through those things, to, to come back together. And I'm like, oh, I totally understand where you're coming from. You're right. I'm sorry. And she was like, I understand where you're coming from. So the ability to pursue one another to value that, to understand like that is your daily disciplines of cleaning out your stream, being intentional with that, taking the love. And from that is the fruit of wherever that goes because you guys grow more in love and one. Right. So like for the most part, couples do life separately during the day because of work, right? If you don't speak to each other throughout that day, then how do you expect to come home you know what I mean? And then it's just like. So I'll speak to the man on that. And then you can you can correct <laughs> it. Like men don't think of priming the pump, foreplay, talking all day because it's just like, you're beautiful. I love you. You're my wife. Let's go. Like that's just how it is. So men, you cannot leave for work at 5 a.m. or 8 a.m. or 9 a.m., whatever it is, and not talk to your wife all day. Come home. 
drop all your stuff, leave your stuff laying around, and contribute to the mess that your kids are probably creating in the house. And if you're not engaged in helping, and then expect at the end of the night when she's exhausted of serving and loving all day for her to want to have sex with you. Like, that, like, that's not how it goes. You need to be intentional in pursuing her throughout the day. As soon as you come home expressing your love, coming alongside of her, tackling the house, loving on the kids, like, that is your role as the man, like, not just to show up and expect her to fulfill her side of the contract. What about the lady side? I, I mean, you hit on it pretty good. Well, I, th- I thought it was good because she had shared prior to um, us sitting here that one of your children was just a little bit affected by listening to you yeah. talk about it. And then I'm thinking of the illustration from Soul Keeping and the children came back and the stream was clear and there was swans in the water. And I think that that's a great illustration of, okay, you had that discussion and your child was a little concerned about it. But you had the time to show him that you were moving the twigs out. Had you not talked about it, the twigs would have started building up with all of the dirt and the refuge. You know, for all the for all the young people that <clears throat> our culture today just kind of skips over this uh, courting, dating, whatever you want to call it, period, right? Where you you put sex aside, but you engage, you talk, you communicate, you drop off flowers, you give time, you go to a movies, all of that is something that often gets overlooked and people just kind of skip from first base all the way down and hit a home run, right? That's the culture that we live in. And sadly, that's the kind of behavior, if you if you just flesh that out, that's the kind of behavior that in the long run will will destroy home plate. Right, because once you get married, you face, you enter into real life, reality, right? And it's different, and everything else changes. And so, for the young people that are listening, please, 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 don't overlook this. If you're listening right now, uh, take value in learning how to communicate and write letters. For Eric and I, there was a period of about three years where we were actually in different parts of the country or in in different countries. Period. And even though cell phones and phones existed, we took the time to write letters back and forth to each other. And we still say that that's one of the sweetest times in our relationship. And it's because we fan this. This I, I remember I was working at a camp for about 10 weeks. And she was getting a little upset because I was not writing her daily letters or weekly letters. And she shared this story with me multiple times. But what I had done was I had taken a journal and I was writing in a journal every day to her. And so I only gave it to her at the very end. And so it was impactful at the very end. But in relationship, it's it's not like that where you can just save up for 10 weeks and then cash out at the end, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. Like real relationship demands that there's this ongoing, hey, I'm thinking of you this week. This week we went and did this. This is what's going on. And so in your early years or when you're dating, man, learn those skills, fan those because they will take you so much further in intimacy than just – learning how to engaging in sex it's we need to value those times and god is love right so in that relationship of him loving um he also loves the son and he also loves the spirit there's this triunity that god has that he has this connection with himself and so when he created the angels he didn't put his spirit into the angels which i find fascinating But with us, he put his spirit into us, and he taught us through his spirit that we needed to be loving towards our Heavenly Father vertically. And then there's this horizontal relationship that we have where we have this loving relationship with people. So our prospective spouses, whoever they may be, um, that's the person that we're supposed to love more than anybody else on the planet. 
but not more than God, because God is the creator of all things, and because you love that person more than anybody else, that actually glorifies God. And that's the perfect relationship that he's trying to establish. Exactly. And just like what we said before, that is a mirrored image of our relationship with him. If you read all throughout the Old Testament, it he created a covenant with his with his believers. And so many times us, the believers, would leave and would choose other gods and would run away. And he was faithful to to redeem if we came back to him. if we, He always pursued us and always loved us. And that is what we should pursue in our marriage. And the fact that you know hard times are going to come, and we really want to address this from the man and woman standpoint, hard times are going to come. You might have, I mean, like Casey, you've got six kids in your house. There is never a slow moment. We have two, and there's they're never not with us, and there's never a slow moment. So to be intentional in your marriage, to still prioritize intimacy and romance, how to keep the romance alive, how to keep it fun while you're with six kids, while you're running sports, while you're helping a nonprofit get up and all these different things, like that is still your priority. Yeah, yeah I think uh, Erica's probably going to sign me up for private lessons with Tom on how to be, you know. The, pri- <laughs> the pump primer. <laughs> Uh, but but absolutely, it is one of those things. Just to get back to the the point that you're making, that you're feeding this idea of of keeping sex fun, right? Because that's what we're after. Uh, just think on this: the, in in God's vantage, Tom, what you were saying there is when we are married and we engage in sex, it is something that honors and glorifies Him. Outside of marriage, it's not something that honors and glorifies Him. So if you if you want to be in that place, talk about fun. It's fun to know that my father in heaven who created me and made me and keeps my marriage together in covenant is honored and pleased and glorified right. in my marriage and in my acts. It's shameful and embarrassing when it's done outside of marriage. And I realize, golly, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hide from God, but I can't escape him. I can't run from his presence. I can't get away from him. Just the proverbial father, when he describes you know, he warns his son, he says, beware of the adulterous woman, beware of this woman that will come after you, that will try to lead you outside of marriage. When you look at the descriptors in that, like, let me read just a few of these, right? You will, if you chase this woman, you will forsake your companion. You will forget the covenant between God. Your house will sink down to death, right? Her 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 way is as bitter as wormwood. It leads to death, to Sheol. She will take your honor. The end of your life will be groaning. Like, that's not fun. No. But when you look at the marriage bed in, that the proverbial father is teaching, he says, this will lead to length of days. Years of your life will be added. You will have peace. You will live in an upright land. You'll have favor and goodness and her fountain will be a blessing to, to you. She, you will delight in her. That's fun, right? And right. so that's the picture that we're after. What you're talking about, right, is to, to keep this fun, we do it in a way that honors and pleases God. And when it's pleasing to him, his blessings pour out on marriage. Right, because it's something that you only do with your husband or your wife, right? And you get to know each other in the marriage bed. But I think if we're going to get practical, good sex comes when you your goal and your aim is to please the other person. Like if I'm really in the act like trying to please Travis and he's trying to please me, then that's good. But when it's self-serving is when it's 
not fun. Because when you you're know? trying to please the other person, you are you're pursuing their heart. You're loving them. You're pursuing right. intimacy with them, not just you. It's not sinful and self-focused. In that act, you're becoming more one right. when you do that. But then you also get to know each other. Mm-hmm. You can communicate about it. You can talk about it. Like I think we – it's really weird because sex is put in our face so much, but then, like, in terms of a couple, when you go to communicate about it, you're, like, nervous. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, when you come down to, like, actually like, talking about, like, the experience, you're kind of like, oh, okay. But, like, you'll watch a TV show where you're watching two people on the screen doing it. You know what I mean? And that's not awkward. I came across a stat and it said that 92% of the songs in the top 10 Billboard list all have to do with sex. All, yeah. And and so it is something that is abundant in our culture. And you're right. It's something that – why is it so hard to talk about in the marriage? Right. Why is it so uncomfortable to be honest about the very thing that's supposed to be – Life-giving. Yes, yeah. comfortable. Well, because the world has shown you that it's not a good word. <sighs> you know, if right. you've got 92% of the songs that are about sex and we know it's not sex and marriage in the way that God wants it to be, then – you know, we're still part of the world, so we're thinking if we even say sex, we're sort of part of the world. What was it for the two of you guys in your marriage? When did that point come where you realized, wow, we've matured enough and we've set our, our marriage apart enough to where we have an open and honest dialogue and we can have an honest conversation? Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I am. Um, what Day one. <laughs> well, it was day one, but remember that we got married when I was almost 50 years old. We had both experienced marriage and failure. We had both experienced um, sexual immorality. How not to do it. How not to do things. And I had such respect for Tom. And I have it written here. Uh, I was listening to Tony Evans yesterday, and he said, men have to model submission to God so that women will know what submission looks like. And that's what Tom was, you know. And I, I, from the first, when we were first together, I would tell women all the time that what I loved about him and what I respected was his love. For God. I'd never seen it. I mean, this was the first time I had ever been with a believer, so I had never seen anything like this. So it made sense. But I always tell people, I don't want people to have to wait until they're 50. You know, I didn't accept Christ till I was 48. I don't, I don't want, I want them to enjoy life now and their marriage now and intimacy now. Yes, Tom and I are very blessed and the Lord has forgiven and blessed us beyond. But those years you can't replace. And those years are years that you guys have and that the listeners hopefully have and that they would, you know, take courage in doing it God's way and not the world's way. Yeah, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. I mean, it's 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 sort of simple, but it's hard to practically live out. You have to live every moment intentionally. You have to acknowledge God for who he is. And if he comes first in a man's life, if God is the person that he – is under and that he is trying to please. He says in his word that it's impossible to please God without faith. And and so what is it that you have to know? You have to know and believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of all of those who diligently seek him. And so that person will understand that God has made a plan. And what we want as as sinners is we want God to bless our plan. 
that whatever it is that I do, whatever I put to my hand, whatever I work I choose, or whatever woman that I marry, I want God to bless that. And, and God says, no, no, listen, listen, I have a plan, and my plan is glorious, and it's much more fun than your plan. And if you would just get on my plan, then I will show you things that your, your ears have never heard, your eyes have never seen, and that thoughts you've never even could ever possibly think if you get on my plan, I will show you these things, and your life will completely change. And so I bought into that. How did I buy into it? Because I did everything wrong. I failed miserably in my own power. And so I just said, look, I either destroy myself or I give myself over to you. And if you're real and your words say that you are, then I believe in you. I trust you. Now what? And he just started beginning to show me and show me. And how did he do it? He did it through his word. He converted me. He totally sold me out, won me over. Just everything was about him as far as I was concerned because his word confirmed everything that he was doing in my life. And and it changed me. And it's like you said, Tom, it's so simple that we complicate it. It's the ability for a man and woman becoming one, both of them cleaning out that stream together daily while they pursue God in everything that they do. And from that, I mean, there's going to be hard times, good times, but the ability for you guys to submit yourself to God, to submit yourself to each other, and to choose love together daily while you intentionally clean out that stream daily. And so if I make a mistake or if I make a series of mistakes— I know that I'm supposed to go to God, and and I usually do that first, but sometimes I don't even realize I'm making the mistakes, and things are different between Olga and I. And so the only person that I can go to is my wife, because she loves me more than anybody else on the planet. And so if I can't go to her and reveal myself to her and tell her what I'm thinking and, and, and the truth of everything that's going on... How could she possibly understand what's happening? And so there's a communication, and and I have to tell you that communication is the most important thing between a husband and a wife. If we can't communicate, then we have nothing. Uh, We are now self-sufficient, and we're independent, and that's what we do when when we're trying to act independent of God. I'm dependent upon God, so I'm also dependent upon Olga to reveal to me things that, that I don't know maybe what's going on or maybe I'm thinking things wrong. And I need my partner to be able to tell me uh, what's wrong. And I have a partner like that. And so I'm incredibly blessed. You know, we, we had talked about wisdom and how wisdom is shown in the Bible as a, as a female, as a she, as a her. And I have always viewed um, wisdom as being the woman that a man marries, that she's the personification of that wisdom that a man needs to hold him up and to support him and to encourage him and to help him because he's been tasked with the responsibilities. He's been tasked with taking ownership of everything that happens in the family because he's eventually going to be standing before God and God is going to say, so what did you do with your family? Like, what did you do with your wife and your kids? Because you're ultimately going to be standing there and making an account for that. And the wife is going to be by herself. She's not going to be with you. You know, she's going to be by herself standing before the Lord. But I'm going to be responsible for my family. 
And I know that if I can say to him, I did everything you said as best as I possibly could with a clear conscience, then I know that that even though I did things wrong, I know that somehow it's going to be okay. But if I didn't do anything, if I didn't acknowledge God in his word, if I didn't do things that he recommended in his word and apply them to my life and help my wife through um, all of her issues and, and experience life with her the way that she thrives in order for her to thrive, then how is it ever going to work? And so I needed to know that I could do that. I needed to know that I could make things right somehow. And I knew that it was because I had to make some kind of an effort. I had to make some kind of a move in order to make those things happen. Well, if you guys could, if you would, um, because this is probably going to be the close of a, of a series that we've had on sex. Um, Tom, Olga, if you guys have any advice left that you want to leave with the married couples, you know, to the women or to the men, uh, what would you share? I mean, you two have lived through this. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. hands up. Go for it. So I didn't find Jesus until I was almost 50 years old. And so it's been a learning experience and everything Tom that Tom has said and shared is true. And so we moved to Franklin and we have purposed to make young people our very dearest friends. And I've learned so much from young women who love and trust God. And my favorite illustration is I have a sweet girlfriend and she purposes to show her husband how much she wants him and how much she desires him throughout the day. And so what she does is, like Tom used to do with me and still does, but uh, she prepares the day. She lets him know, possibly putting out a couple of candles, not lit, just putting them in different places that tonight might be the night if everything goes well. <laughs> and then perhaps, you know, a little nightgown on the bed. Or, But what she does is she just she's just letting him know all day long that she desires him and that they will be one tonight and that with all of the cares of the children and their jobs and everything that's going on, tonight when everything is quiet, they will become one. And they'll remember how they were. You know, I love the word remember because um, we forget. And I think that's what happens in relationships. You forget. You forget how wonderful it was. You forget how much you adored each other. You forget about how great everything was. And you just let all of the branches and all of the soot from the world just start clogging it up. And if you don't do your daily maintenance, then you become. And I was just reading some notes from a study. I was doing hard-hearted. And I had never even looked at being hard-hearted. But it... One of the um, descriptions was that you forget. And so you can see where couples, they get married and everything is great and everything is wonderful and then kids come and then difficult times come. Then they forget. And I think especially with divorce, you forget and now you're hard-hearted. And now you don't want to know and you don't want to pray and you don't want to read. And then everything just, you know, goes south but I think it's uh, precious that this girl has taught me, and I have repeated her story to so many women, that she prepares, she lets him know how much she loves to be with him and how much she respects him enough that nobody else has to know in the house, but he knows each time he walks in their bedroom or in their bath that he sees an indicator that tonight we get to be what we love, and they're always remembering how they were in the beginning. That kind of slows down the day, doesn't it? Yes. I mean, think about that. If When we're anticipating something, it, it almost draws yeah. time out. That is a beautiful picture because it makes it not just this quick fling, right. but it makes it this this exciting, ongoing romance right. that's supposed to be. Right. Well, it, it's the difference in 
it being just like an act at the end of the day and it being like living in intimacy with another person. And the priority too mm-hmm. at the beginning of the day. And it, that puts a, it is a beautiful way to call your man to more Amen. without having to say, hey, be more. Yeah. Like you just raise the bar for him and then he, he yeah. runs after it. And, the, and, and not out of duty, but out of love, he desires to. That is powerful. That's really good. It's the picture that, that so many around us need to see, right? Like that's the, the beautiful romance that our children need to be watching when they're growing up. It's the beautiful romance that our friends and peers. It's the thing that would cause people to go, well, they've got something in God that I don't have. Right. Like ideally you want your kids to be – they're going to be captivated in one or the other, right? They're going to be captivated in what other people show them or they're going to be captivated by what they've seen within their home. And we want to create that environment where they're captivated by what they see in the home, right? And I think if you just don't put effort into that, then, like, of course they're going to look for something else, and they're going to experience something else. Uh, Romans twelve nine says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. And when I think back of... When I first met Olga and got to know her, uh, I, I just thought I'd won the lotto. I mean, there's no two ways about it. And ever since, every day since we've been married, um, I look across the table at her. I look at her in the bed. I see her when she's asleep on the couch when we're watching television. And I, I just see, know, and understand and just feel like I have all this knowledge of this incredible person that I get to be with. And... Every day is incredible to me. I'd rather spend uh, time with Olga than with anybody else ever. And uh, I truly mean that. And so uh, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, nearness to God brings likeness to God. And he says, the more you see God, the more of God will be seen in you. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the whole point is, is that if a man truly loves God and he wants to be known by God, and he would pour himself into God as best as he can by pouring himself into his word. And if you do that, I promise you, God will pour himself into you. And and that will just change everything in your marriage, in your life, your kids. And, of course, you would do that unashamedly because he is the creator of everything. And he knows what he's doing. I found a Proverbs this morning. It was Proverbs eighteen twenty two, And it said, a man's greatest treasure is his wife. She is a gift from the Lord. Ain't that right? Amen. Amen. (laughs) Thank you guys for joining us for this podcast. That was an absolute blast. Yay. Thank you for listening to the Kavod Family Podcast. Please like, share, and leave us a review. If you've enjoyed this content, or if you're familiar with some of our programs and partners in the Kavod Family Network, please consider becoming a donor at Kavod Family slash donation. God is in the process of restoring all things to himself. That begins with the person. That person is part of a family, and that family belongs to a community. Kavod Family is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry.